So walking through Ecclesiastes, and the question is, you know, where do you find meaning? And he keeps coming to dead ends. Like, I tried to find meaning here, and it was a dead end. I tried to find meaning and purpose here, and I, I thought I had it, that it just slipped right through my hands. It was like a vapor. And so one of the questions that you're supposed to be asking is, okay, well, if it's not found in all these other places, is there some place you can find it? And so as he's on the journey, as he's kind of explaining how he tried to find it here and tried to find it here and tried to find it here and nothing worked, he keeps pointing us back to this truth of where you actually can find it. And, and that's can be a little bit hard to see when you're doing it this way, but like, spoiler alert, there's an end conclusion in chapter 12 that we're working towards where he's going to say, hey, here's what, it, here's what really matters. Fear God and keep his commandments. Love him, worship, serve him, serve God. But all throughout the way, there's these hints where he will remind us and point us back. I tried to find it here. This was a struggle. This was hard. This, I didn't understand this. And he points us back. And chapter 5 is one of those places where he gives us some instruction. Chapter 4, he, he talked about all these struggles. Life is really, really hard. There's so much difficulty. There's so much stuff we don't understand. And then we have our mortality on top of all that. All these struggles. And in chapter 5, he points us back to God. In fact, it's interesting. Chapter 4, he didn't even mention God. Chapter 5, in the first seven verses, like seven or eight times, he points out that it's all about God. And he points us back to, if you really want to find meaning, you've got to worship him. You've got you to go back to God. You've got to look for meaning and purpose in God alone. But when he does this in chapter 5, he does it kind of in a warning. In fact, it's, it's like he says, hey, we're going to turn back to God now, but I, I need you to proceed with caution. You, you need to examine yourself. You need to examine your motivation. Examine all the, all the things that come with this turning back. When you realize that you can't find meaning and purpose over here, you've got you to turn back to God. But don't just, like, there's a danger here when you, when you kind of are walking through this text and, and everything is meaningless and everything is here today and gone tomorrow and it's a vapor and all that stuff, that you can start seeing every single aspect of life, even worship, even gathering with God's people, even your engagement with the church, like even that can become like, well, what does it matter? What's the point? And so he says, hey, as you turn back to God, make sure you uh, proceed with caution. And so the first thing that he says in these first seven verses is kind of this caution checkpoint. He says, we should check our approach to worship. I, I want you to see it. I want you to look at what he's saying here about our approach to worship ought to be something as we, as we turn away from finding meaning somewhere else and we turn back to God, as we go to him for answers. As, as we, all these struggles, all these difficulties, all these problems in life kind of lead us to, well, I, I'm gonna go to God for help. I'm going to go to God for answers. I'm going to go to God and, and see what he has to say about it. He says, hey, proceed with caution. Check your approach to worship. And, and the first thing he says is be ready to worship. Look at verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. The, the people in Israel, the people he's talking to, they would go to the house of God. They would go to the temple. So they would walk through, hey, life is hard, man. Things, things are happening I don't understand. Things are happening. They're spinning out of control. Things are happening that are very, very difficult. Go to the house of the Lord. Go to the temple and worship him. That was their response to that. And so he says, guard your steps as you go. Don't just, don't just walk in there as if this doesn't mean anything either. Don't, don't walk in there lackadaisical. Don't walk in there flippantly. Like This is a big deal to go and worship God, and so be ready to worship. That's the, really the first kind of take home for us today is that when you show up for a worship service, a corporate worship service, be ready. Be ready to worship. It kind of sounds simple, doesn't it? Like, well, of course, like you're here. You, you got up, you got dressed, you, you probably ate something, you're caffeinated and you're here. You know, it's 11 o'clock service, but you're here. Like you made it. So you're ready, right? Feels like you're ready. But just stop and think about how difficult that is sometimes. 
or maybe every time. Like, sometimes you show up here, and by the time you show up here, nobody in the family's talking to each other anymore, right? Like, there's so many obstacles that just surface on a Sunday morning that don't seem to surface on other days, and all of a sudden, we're driving to church to worship God, and we don't even think we like each other, right? Is it too soon for that? Is it, like it's, it's pretty raw right now, it feels like. So, like, that just stuff happens. Like, the enemy's trying to keep us from this thing because it is such a big deal. He's trying to thwart it in any way. And so here's one of the things that happens with that is, like, these things spin out of control and things go wrong and, and we're waiting on somebody or someone's always late or whatever it is. And, no, hey, no elbows, no pointing fingers. Just stuff happens on Sundays. And it's sometimes hard to be prepared for that. The, the moment that we walk in here, to, that Scott was talking about greeting other people, like we're just glad we got here before the you know, second song was over, right? I get it. Like there's, there's a real struggle with that sometimes, and it can be difficult. And what he's saying is, hey, guard your steps when you're coming. Be ready to worship. What, what would that look like for you? And please understand, like, I'm, I don't have a blanket answer for everybody what that looks like. For you to be prepared with your heart, prepared to worship God when you arrive here. I mean, does it mean getting up a little bit early, setting the alarm a little bit earlier so that you have more time, so there's less stress? Like, what, is it, what would that look like for you and for your family? What does it look like to help your kids prepare their hearts for this time of meeting with God? What, maybe you need to spend uh, time with God and his word in the morning before you come, which sounds kind of crazy, right? Sounds a little bit intense, like you're about to go and learn from God and then worship and sing and all the things, so I need to spend extra time with him. But maybe that would be how he prepares you for this moment, because he say, hey, this is, a, this is a big deal. This is a meaningful moment to the, the gathering with God's people to sing truth to God and to sing truth about God and to listen to him as he speaks through his word is a big deal to gather together corporately. And so don't take it lightly. Prepare your heart. Be ready for this moment. Walk in ready to worship, ready to engage. The call of worship, your heart is already ready. You're in tune. I mean, wh- how would that change things? That's what he seems to be saying. And don't... don't Guys, don't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean you have to like have everything together. It doesn't mean everything's got to work out. Like if, you're, if your morning spins out of control, it doesn't mean that you've lost the chance to be prepared for worship. Like God meets us at our point of need. So this is not one of those places where you got to you know, put on the happy face and we got it all together and my life's perfect because I got Jesus and he's good. Like No, the struggles that we're walking through in Ecclesiastes. That's, that's all of our struggles. This is all of us. It's in our face all the time. It's in our face right now for so many people going through really difficult times. And it's really, really okay to come in here with this recognition that I need help. I don't have it all together. That's, that's preparing your heart for worship. When you come in here and you act like you don't need help, I don't think you're really understanding that he's God and we're not. Like, we don't have this under control. And when we come in here and we're trying to fake it, like we're trying to act like we got it, but everything's perfect, I don't think our hearts are prepared for worship. I think our hearts are more prepared when we come in here going, I need God, I need answers, I need help. I don't, I don't understand and I may not get answers, but I know he's going to be with me, so I'm going to be with his people so I can be reminded of that truth. I need help. And the Bible says God is near to the brokenhearted. So you don't have to have your heart in the, like, free from brokenness and free from pain when you come to the house of the Lord together with God's people. Like, he, he's near to the brokenhearted. You feel broken? 
a bruised reed, he, doesn't, he, he won't break that. He won't break that off. If you feel like your flame's going out, he won't, he won't snuff it out. It says that he moves close to us in our pain. He knows that we don't understand. He knows we don't get it, and he moves close to us. So come in honest and ready to worship him. Be prepared. Be ready to worship. And the next thing he seems to say is that we need to be ready to listen. Verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of the God. And then he says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So when we come to worship and where hearts are prepared for worship, we're here to listen. And that doesn't mean that we're not here to sing and proclaim truth and encourage each other and greet each other, but ultimately we're here to sit under the teaching of God's word. Like we want to listen to him. We want to learn from him. You're not, you're not here to listen to me. Just, just so you, my job is to try to help all of us together understand what God has said in his word. Maybe just a little bit better if I can explain it. Like that's, that's my job. And so we're here to listen to God and his word. And, and all the Bible you see that is the path towards wisdom. And Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature and kind of a parallel over here is Proverbs. And in Proverbs it says it time and time and time again. Hear the instructions. Take heed. Listen to the instructions of God. This is the path of wisdom. This is where you find wisdom. So listen and hear and receive his word. And it says a lot of times, like, sons, daughters, children, listen to the instruction of your parents because the assumption is your parents are teaching you about the wisdom and instruction and knowledge of God. So heed it and listen to it. We're, we're called to be listeners, we're called together, together to hear from God and from his word. What, what would that look like for you? What would it look like for you to be a better listener in this moment because we're meeting with God and we're learning from him and his word. And so what does that look like? Some of you, let's be honest, some of you don't listen that well unless you're writing it down, right? Like unless you're taking notes, you don't really retain it. So what would it look like for you to get in the habit of writing stuff down so that you can actually retain it, so you can actually learn it? Some of you are like, hey, the Bible is awesome and I have a Bible somewhere, but I also have the Bible on my phone and that's great. And there's no judgment there. If that's the way you take notes best is looking it on your phone and taking notes and there's an app for that and all that stuff, it's great. But sometimes you got that out and a notification comes in and you find that you're not listening anymore because you're trying to watch a video without the sound and trying to figure out what they're, what's so funny. Like it can be so easy to be distracted in the moment. So what does it look like to be a good listener? What does it mean to really focus in? I, God's word is being preached and proclaimed. God's word is being sung. The truth from it. So how do I listen? Be ready to listen. And that's obviously so much of that is about corporate worship, but you have God's word to listen to all the time. The source of life and answers and meaning and purpose, it's found in God's word. As he reveals who he is and what he's done, it's, it's right here. And so be a good listener. David Gibson in his book on Ecclesiastes called Living Life Backward, he said it this way. He said, God's in heaven and I'm on earth. And I'm unlikely to understand this mess any more than you do. I mean, that's just the reality. It's, there's a struggle. There's difficulties. There's confusion. We don't always understand it. And this teacher of God's word says, and I don't, I don't, I don't understand it any more than you do. And then look at what he says. But in our confusion, we have words to read that tell us who God is, what he has done, and what he will one day do. There are always words from him to listen to, whatever circumstances we may find ourselves in. So are you listening? Is that an active, intentional part of your life to sit 
with his word, study his word, listen to God's word. This is where the answers come from. We, we, we need to be ready to listen. What does that look like for you to be a better listener, specifically with God's word? And then, then he says something about being ready to follow through, which is, you know, it's just part of this approach to worship, checking our approach to worship, be ready to follow through. Look at verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and then not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger, it was just a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So he says, hey, don't make vows and not keep them. If you're going to make a vow, keep it. It'd be better to not make any vows if you're not going to keep them. It'd be better to remain silent, which this whole thing is like, be ready to listen. The, 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 the contrast between the person who's ready for worship and listening and paying, paying his vows and following through, the, the other side is a fool. This, the stakes are pretty high here. Don't, don't be a fool, right? And so don't rush in with a bunch of words because... That might be foolish in that moment. Go, go in first as a listener. Go in with this understanding that he's God and I'm not. I don't have all the answers. Make that approach on Sunday. Make that approach in your community group. Like we don't, we, don't, we don't need a bunch of people that think they know everything. We need people to understand, I don't have all the answers, but I know he's God and he's in control. There's that old saying that you've probably heard it before. No one knows exactly who said it, but it's been attributed to people like Mark Twain and Abraham Lincoln and Lisa Simpson from The Simpsons for some reason. But it, it, the saying's something like this. Um, it's, it'd be better to remain silent and everybody think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I mean, think about that for a second. Like, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Um, don't rush in. Don't, don't, don't use all these words that don't mean anything. Make your words count. Be a person who follows through on their vows. And just so you know, the Old Testament, they didn't, they, weren't, they didn't have to make vows. It wasn't a commandment that they had to make these vows, but it was actually allowed. They were permitted to make vows, but the understanding was if you're going to make a vow, you should keep the vow. If you make a promise to God, you should keep it. Don't be the person that's walked away from those promises. Oh, I used to do those things. I used to do mission trips. I used to be involved. I used to be engaged. I used to do these things. Like, there's always room for you to come back, but don't be the person that just stays walking away from that. Be a person who follows through. When Jesus shows up, he says, hey, you, you don't have to make vows. It's not a commandment. He says, here's something better. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person that people can count on. Be a person who follows through. That's a part of worship. It's like, say, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve here. I'm gonna, you can count on me. I'll be faithful. Like, be those kinds of people. That's what he seems to be pointing us to, is be ready to follow through, whatever it is. And, you know, maybe we don't make a lot of vows these days. Maybe that's not a part of our normal process. I think if we had more time, we could probably dig down into some of the things that we do that seem like that. But if you just stop and think about the songs that we sing, and how maybe it's not a formal like making a vow, but like we're, we're singing things with our mouths that we're proclaiming that is true. Are, are we people that are following through on that? Have you ever stopped and thought about what we sing? Like we just think, God, I'll rely on you. I trust in you. I'm the, you're the vine, I'm the branch. Can't do anything without you. I rely on you. I trust in you. I need you. Until 
Tuesday afternoon when something spins out of control and we think, oh, I gotta fix this, it's all up to me. Like, do we rely on him? Do we, do we flesh that out? Have we just sung some things that we thought were true at the time that don't really play out in our lives? We're, at the end of a service, we're gonna sing a song. It's a great song, Christ Be Magnified. It's gonna proclaim some things that we need to maybe stop and examine. Do I mean this? <laughs> do, I, do, I, do I mean what I'm about to sing here? I won't bow to idols. I'll still stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. We're about to sing that together. It's, it feels like a vow. Like, God, I'm with you no matter what. We need to examine that. We need to be people that follow through. We need people that mean what we say. And, and it lo- shows up in the way we live our lives. It's the, it's the caution of worship. It's a big deal. He's it's not expecting perfection. He expects progress. He, he wants us to keep moving, and he meets us at the point of need. But these are things that we can examine our hearts. Like, the, do I mean what I just said? Do I mean what I just sang? I mean, everything in this first seven verses is kind of pointing to that caution and the, and, and the house of God and our worship and being ready to worship, being ready to listen, be ready to keep our vows to follow through. And, and then he's going to turn to the, the rest of chapter 5 and all the way through chapter 6. He's going to talk about money and possessions again. He's going to go back to how you can't find meaning in that. But it seems like there's a worship context here. In fact, when I was looking at this whole passage, it took me three days really to find a connection here. Like He's talking about worship and then he talks about money and possessions. But it's like, that's how worship plays out, right? Worship is what we do corporately when we sing and all all the stuff that we're serving. But it's also how we live our lives. And worship is really seen and what we value and what we pursue and what we treasure and what we chase after with everything that we have. And so he turns really quickly to the worship in our hearts for this thing. In fact, it it, it almost sounded like he was in five and six, Ecclesiastes five and six, he was preaching Deuteronomy six, four through five. This will be on the screen for you. Deuteronomy six, four through five says, hear, O Israel, listen, O Israel, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might. Listen to God's word. Listen to who he is. Listen to what he has to say. He's one. He's the one true and living God. He's the only one worthy of worship. So love him, worship him, serve him with everything that you have. And so he talks about our approach in worship and we should check our approach to worship. And then he's going to shift a little bit and talk about how we should check the object of our worship. That what really has our hearts. What are we valuing and treasuring and pursuing above anything else? Is it God or has he been replaced with something else? And when we check the object of our worship, it leads us to some things that we need to understand. The first is that worshiping the wrong things will never satisfy us. When you take something, even if it's a good thing, and you make it ultimate, like I gotta have this and I'm gonna pursue it above everything else, it becomes the wrong thing. It becomes a bad thing. And the worshiping the wrong things will never satisfy us. Look at, look at the text, chapter 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of labor, where he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's no satisfaction with money. You can't have so much that you finally get there, right? Uh, one of the, our members in our first service reminded me of a quote by John Rockefeller. At the time, he's probably the richest man in the world. And somebody asked him, how much money do you need? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I mean, that, 
Isn't that the way it always works? Like, if I just had that much, I'd have everything I need. And you get that much, and you're like, you know what, I would, I, I, if I just had that much. There's so many different people have written books about Ecclesiastes, so many helpful things. I haven't read this book, but just the title grabbed me. This rabbi, Harold Kushner, wrote a book about Ecclesiastes, and here's his title. When all you've ever wanted isn't enough. And that's, that's life when you're pursuing something that, a possession, a thing, whatever it is. When you're pursuing something in the place of God with all of your value and all of your treasure, it's never enough. You think it's going to bring everything you're looking for. And what preacher of Ecclesiastes says, it's vanity. Here today, gone tomorrow. It doesn't last. doesn't satisfy. Meaning's not really found there. When worshiping the wrong things will never, ever satisfy us. In verse 1 of chapter 6, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. Somebody gets all the stuff and they think, now I've got it. I've, and, and God takes away the ability to enjoy them. Why? Because we've made those things ultimate and they've replaced God in our life and that'll never satisfy us so we can't even enjoy them when we have them. And so don't, don't worship the wrong thing. Don't pursue something and value and treasure something above God because it won't satisfy us. And then he says this and it kind of turns it up a notch. Worshiping the wrong things could ruin us. It's not just that it won't satisfy us. We, we kind of all have that story. I thought I'd really, really, if I had that, I'd really have what I was looking for. But it didn't, it didn't fill me up. But he says, this could actually harm you. If you worship the wrong things, it could bring harm to your life. It could ruin you. Here's what he says, verse 13, chapter 5. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. He's the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This guy thought, hey, if I just have all these things, I'll have it. I'll have everything I'm looking for. I'll have the significance, the satisfaction, the security, and it doesn't satisfy, but it actually could bring harm because he has it all, and then he lost it all. And I know, you guys, like some of you are so good with money, and you're thinking, that, well, that's not going to happen. I have saved in the right place, and I've invested in the right investments, and the track record, and the history, and I've done my research, and I've stored it up in the good place. Like It's, not, it's diversified and all the things, and you're like, no, I, I can count on it. You know that's not a guarantee in this world, right? It doesn't exist. It, we absolutely should save. We absolutely should be smart with our money. We should invest. We should plan for the future. None of that's bad. But you can't find your security in it because it, it really could all be taken away. And even beyond that is sometimes we have to get that level so much that we sacrifice things all along the way time with my family, uh, values, my integrity. I'll make all these kinds of sacrifices because I got to have that status, that possession, that wealth, that bank account. I got to have that. And we've sacrificed these things. And all of a sudden we look back and there's consequences just piling up. Because man, when you pursue that with everything you have, it can bring harm. It can, it can be pain. And it, it can bring hardship in our life. Like, and the problem is not the things. It's not. It's the pursuit of them, the value in them above everything else. And so worshiping the wrong things could ruin us. Here's how Jesus said it. 
Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money's not wrong. Money's not the root of all evil. But the love of money above God, above everything else, that, that's the root of all evil. And you can't serve both. They can't both be your God. One will never deliver on its promises. One will, one will, if, you, if you pursue it at all costs, it could actually bring you harm. So he says, don't. Like, serve God and then, then use money. Re- receive money, but don't make it ultimate. Which is the, where he's going with this. Worshiping the wrong things will never satisfy us. Worshiping the wrong things could ruin us. And he's kind of bringing us to this conclusion, and here it is. Worshiping God alone above everything else brings joy and satisfaction. You want, to, you want to know where meaning is? You want to know where satisfaction is? You want to know where true security comes from? It only comes from God. It comes from pursuing and valuing and treasuring him above everything else. And when you do, then all of a sudden you can receive what God has given you with gladness and joy and contentment. And I, I don't want you to miss this because he says it very clearly in this chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. And it's, it's a common theme. He keeps coming back to it, but man, we need to be reminded. Verse 18, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Work hard. Don't make your work ultimate. Don't make the possessions or the money that you make ultimate, but work hard and be content with what God's given you. Receive it as a gift from God. That's, that's where joy and satisfaction and meaning really comes from. Everything is God's. He's given me everything. I'm going to be faithful to what he's given me, and I'm going to receive it with joy. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. So when you make things ultimate, God takes away your ability to enjoy it because you're, you're, you're not on the right path. You're missing out on what life is really about, where the meaning's found. But when you receive everything as a gift from God, you can enjoy it. When you recognize that everything I have, everything good comes from God, every perfect gift comes from him, then I can receive what I have. I can be content with what I have, and all of a sudden joy comes to that person. Like you find meaning and purpose and real significance and real security in him. Verse 20 is so interesting to me. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You're like, what? You're not going to remember the days of his life? Because God's keeping him occupied with joy, what does that mean? Well, what, is it, what have we been, we've been learning? Life's hard. One struggle after another. And on top of that, we're going to die. Life is difficult. There's pain. But man, when you understand who God is and you worship him above everything else and you don't make anything else ultimate, when you really are just pursuing and valuing him above everything else, here's what happens. He gives you joy that makes all the struggles not as bad. He didn't didn't take away the struggles. He doesn't take away all the pain, but he gives us a perspective and a context for the struggles that we realize that, hey, I really have everything I need in God, and so everything he's given me, whatever it is, I'll just receive it as a gift from him, and I'll be joyful. He will guard our hearts with joy. He will guard our minds with joy. He'll make the bad things not so bad because of the joy he gives us when we worship him and worship him alone. That seems to be what he's saying here. And the question for me when I get to this point is like, okay, how do I do that? 
How do I proceed with caution? How do I check my approach to worship and I check the object of my worship? I don't want to wander off. I don't want to do this in the wrong way. I want, I want, like, how do I do this? And I think here's, here's the secret. Understand and remember and know and put it in your focus how great God is. He, he's God, the creator of the universe. And look at his greatness and look at his majesty and when you understand how great God is, here's what happens. All that other stuff becomes less attractive. All, all the allure of the things that I could pursue instead of God, it, it's not as great when I see how great he is. It's like I'm the guy who found the treasure hidden in the field. I'm like, I'll sell everything to have this treasure. Why? Because I found something so much greater than everything else. And when you find out who God is, when you see his greatness, guess what? Everything else is not that big of a deal to me anymore. It's not that a try. I don't need it as much. I don't have to put my security and significance in this stuff because I found something better. There's this book called Instructing Your Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And some of you probably read Shepherding Your Child's Heart. It's a great parenting resource. The next book in the series is also good. It's Instructing Your Child's Heart where you begin to teach them the truth. Here's a quote I absolutely love. If you want your kids to have a reason to sing on Sunday... Give them a glorious God. If you want your kids to have a reason not to sin on Monday, give them a glorious God. If you want them to think of nobler things than the latest mind-numbing video fantasy game, give them a glorious God. If you want them to dream grander dreams than illicit sex or more money or more stuff, give them a glorious God. If you want them to have a reason for confidence when life seems to spin out of control, Give them a glorious God. He's the answer. You, you show your kids how great he is and all that other stuff won't be as attractive to them anymore because they'll find out he's better. And you can instruct them and you have to instruct them, you have to teach them, you have to show them. But guys, they have to see it in us. They have to see in our priorities and our time and everything that we do that, man, like this is ultimate. God is ultimate. I'm gonna pursue and value and treasure him above everything else because he is great. He's better. And when they see it in us and they hear it from us, they get it from us. So give them a glorious God in how we live our lives. And if you wanna know how to do that, look to Jesus. There's no greater story than the story of Jesus. You want to know how great our God is? Look at Jesus, what he did for us. We were cut off and hopeless and separated from God because of our sin. We had no chance to get back to him. And God sent his son to come and live this life for us, to die on a cross for us, to rescue us and bring us back to God. We had no chance of doing that without Jesus dying in our place on that cross. And he died on the cross for you and for me. And he was taken off that cross when he was dead and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was laid to rest there, but he didn't stay in the grave. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He came back alive. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. And man, there's no story greater than that one. So look to Jesus when you want to see how great our God is. Look at what he did for you and for me. That all of our hope is only found in him. And when you see how great he is, you'll realize he's the only one worth following. He's the only one worth our ultimate value and ultimate treasure and ultimate pursuit because of his greatness. So look to Jesus. See how great he is. And then worship him in response to that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your greatness. 
We, we could spend a lot of time talking about all the ways that you are great. We could try to describe it. We could try to explain it. We could just, just count the ways. And we're so thankful for the focused way that we see your greatness in the story of the gospel and the story of Jesus and what he accomplished for us, who he is and what he's done for us to rescue us and to save us. And we're so thankful for that. God, help us to see that. Help us to understand that. Help us to get that clearly in our focus so that we respond to that with our lives. Our lives of worship every single day and our engagement as this body corporately to worship you together. And we thank you for that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.